Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Ben Folds performs live at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. next Monday, November 15th at 8 p.m. He joined me to discuss his radio hit, Brick, his animated film work in Over the Hedge, and his role as the National Symphony Orchestra's first-ever artistic advisor. Hey, Ben, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, good to be here. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, so obviously this Kennedy Center show is called In Actual Person Live for Real Tour. It's a funny name, but it's also, you know, it's been a crazy 18 months. And, you know, a lot of us can relate to that. Oh, my gosh, an actual person live for real. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how was how did you spend the pandemic and how excited are you, you know, to get back out? Well, um, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm on the lucky side of um, of the pandemic. Um you know, my, my son did get COVID and he was pretty sick for a while. And he got well, um, uh, you know, I was in Australia for most of the time. I had been on tour over there. You know, it derailed a lot of stuff um, like it did for everybody. But um, I, I, I found that um, I learned a lot, you know, like like I, I learned to slow a couple things down um, and, and, and actually probably my, you know, my well- sense of well-being was increased in some way uh during that time just just for slowing down and not doing so much stuff now at the end of it what i'm finding is that i'm trying to cram in all the stuff that i didn't do over the last 18 months and uh so uh, i've learned nothing in essence because now i'm really back to the treadmill but i'm really like it it makes me so happy to see audiences and uh, you know, it's just sort of reconnect with people. That sounds cliche, but when you look out and you see this audience of people who have been, some of them have really been through it. They're the happiest ones there. Like they're like, we're real for, for real in actual person show. And, um, and so that's, that's actually every time I step on stage on this tour and see, see the, the, the people in the audience, it, it, it's really great because this whole time has been spent at crazy online, you know, like it makes people nuts and it's, it's cool to see, see this. Oh yeah, absolutely. That there's no substitute for that audience to perform our actual live in person interaction. So what, what sort of stuff, if we come out to the Kennedy center on the, on the 15th, what sort of stuff are we going to hear? Is it sort of like a Ben folds greatest hits? You, you trying out anything yeah. new or what are we going to hear? You know, I might, I'm, I mean, at some point I've got a lot of stuff I've been writing and at some point I may just start to drop those things live, play them, you know, but so far the way it's gone is like people have been out of, the um they've been out of the 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 venues now for so long that there's something about just 
playing whatever I feel like, and and it's from any era. I would call it greatest hits, just what seems like the moment. You know what I mean? Like like, right. um, I feel like if you're playing all the time, and you're and you're throwing in new stuff it's not stepping on the experience of other stuff. I don't know if that makes sense, but what I'm finding is like, Oh, I'm going to play this one tonight. It's new. And then I go, but that's going to be cutting into someone's other favorite song. <laughs> uh, and I just feel it. I just, just, I just like start launching into something else, you know, but I, what I would say is that the Kennedy center is um, super special place for me because I've spent so much time there now with the, National Symphony Orchestra as the uh, artistic advisor, playing stuff with the orchestra or putting together shows. It's like backstage is like another home for me now. And, and, and playing an actual show of where I'm just, just a musician playing my songs is kind of energizes this show in a way I can't explain. It's like inviting people in. It's like Daryl's house or something. I, I'm, really, I'm really super excited about it. Oh yeah, for sure. And and you mentioned that, you know, you've been serving as the NSO's, I think it's their first ever time they've had an artistic advisor since about what, 2017, I think. How big of an honor has that been? And, uh, oh. you know, I, I know you've been, you've done a lot of what, what's it called? Declassified Ben Folds present series with a bunch of yeah. you know, crossover with, with pop artists and stuff that played with the symphony, but just mm-hmm. how, how rewarding has that whole experience been? Oh man, it's huge. One, because I just, I just love the people I work with down there. I mean, they're lifelong, really interesting. um, uh, They've spent their life in this, you know what I mean? So it's like, uh, they're resources on stuff I I need to know, want to know people I I would want to bring in and work with. I mean, it's the Kennedy Center, right? It's, but, but it's very, it's not, they're not who you would think they are. I mean, they're very, it's, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty eclectic. Um, and um, that's been the biggest thing is that I have this resource to learn anything. I mean, I have access to the library and scores of anything I want to see handwritten from any era. That's, that's, that's amazing. And actually being able to bring what I know, because I've been playing with orchestras, solidly playing my music with orchestras around the world for 15 years now. And, and I, I've learned humbly a lot about how it's done and how it's not done. Um, and to get to then bring my homies in who also play pop music, but not often with an orchestra, I can save them 15 years. Um, and uh, I look, I could go on about, about, uh, about this forever, but we're actually making a whole lot of progress towards how this is done. The you know, when you say crossover, this is also cultural. You know, bringing a, like a, an R and B artist or country artist into the Kennedy Center to play with the National Symphony Orchestra is not just a matter of mashing it up. It's it's actually getting them to collaborate and understand each other's language. Uh, it's it's I think it's profound. You know, and in an era where our tribes are just going to their corners and taking off the gloves and spitting each other's faces. It's a rough time. So any, any fault line is a big deal. Like, you know, Oh, this person's okay. That's right. We got a country guy. He must be a Republican. Okay. The, 
the concert master, oh, she must be a Democrat. Oh, we're going to hate each other. It really feels that way in this era if you don't address it really quickly musically, which is the way that we get back together. Yeah, perfectly said. I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's like, and, and a lot of those, like you said, you might think it's a country star Republican, and it turns out they're not actually a Democrat or vice versa. You know, you never really it, know until you get out there and you have that conversation. It does not matter. The musicality of someone who studied in a university, studied in con- conservatory, is just the same in a way as a country artist or a rap artist. It's just that people go to a corner and make quick assumptions. And in this environment, we've added this political layer, which does not need to be there. And at the Kennedy Center, which is a a government institution, Mm -hmm. you know, I can feel that can happen quickly, but that's the place that you want more than ever to be completely, not just nonpartisan, but non-religious, non, non, uh, 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 upbringing, non-ethnic, non-everything. You are a musician. And then when they step out on stage, the audience is an audience. They're people. We take that crap out of it. And interestingly, and I'm sorry to go on about this, but like what has interested me the most about curating these shows and putting this stuff together is just along the way, keeping the human beings there and keeping the musicianship and the, and the humanity first. And then suddenly everything takes care of itself because we've had some weird ones on there and it just feels awesome if you just make music. And that's what you can do at the Kennedy Center. And one of the reasons why I'm so reverent for the place and I will be on my absolute A sort of uh, uh, whatever, I don't want to call it A game, but I'm just going to be myself and, and, and be very happy about it at, at that show. Oh, yeah. And real quick, um, you know, can you remind us, rattle off some of the names of the people that you've brought in for that declassified series? It's some really heavy hitters. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we just saw my country, Jamie Johnson. Uh, and, and, and he's like, he speaks a particular language of music, you know, and, 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 and he related to a couple of, of members of the band, but not as many as, as some. Sarah Bareilles, you know, uh, she's, uh, you know, it's kind of a West Coast middle class Broadway mentality in, in her pop thing. That's kind of kind of where she comes from. She doesn't read music, and but she's absolutely brilliant. And we brought her in. Uh, and then we've we've had, uh, gosh, who else? Regina Spector. Her father was a violinist for the Moscow Symphony Orchestra uh, back when it was the USSR. And so she had great reverence for uh, the late Rostopovich, who was, you know, uh, a a big presence, uh, uh, bring Shostakovich into the symphony. So that kind of meant something uh, uh, on its on its own. Right now, I can't, I mean, John Batiste came in. He's a Juilliard trained, uh, conservatory trained musician, probably the most literate of all the musicians I've bring, brought in the pop world. But because he's kind of a jazzer, he's kind of loosey-goosey, and, hey, what's happening? He doesn't seem like it. Uh, but their relationships to the orchestra are, are all I think really special and uh and and I just I, I love being there for all of them 
Oh, yeah. Well, we just dished on a bunch of other artists, but let's find out a little more about yourself while we have you. I know you're born in, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. What, what, how did you get into music in the first place? Like, I, I, I believe I've read about, you know, your dad brought home a piano and you, yeah, just remind our listeners, you know, how you got into it. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, my the influences for me really, uh, you know, when, when I was a kid, it was pretty much all, all R&B. Um, th- those were the records I, w- I was hearing. Um, but, you know, I, when I was, uh, you know, when I was a kid and uh, growing up in North Carolina, this is really good public school system. And there was uh, there, there were uh, really good teachers in it. And, and it, was, it was a lot of art, a lot of arts in, in, uh, in, in my upbringing in Winston-Salem. I mean, just it was everywhere. So I had I had great access to it. I had access to play percussion uh, in a youth symphony. Um, uh, the Winston-Salem School of the Arts Youth Symphony when I was like nine or 10 years old. And um, that that was that was real big, too. So, you know, for me, it was all, all about having just like this great support system uh, and having access to all those things, uh, which is another another reason for my involvement with the Kennedy Center is, is I, I see fewer and fewer kids of of what was my income bracket. Um, getting access to that if you got if you got dough you got access but in this era we want you know we want we want kids to have the access to it young so yeah i had that very lucky yeah it's for sure for sure well um i know you know speaking of education and music and stuff i know you went to university of miami briefly and then left for unc greensboro and you know you, you sort of went came up that way but remind us how you got um how you formed the benfold five to begin with um yeah well it was i've been i've been playing with three-piece piano bass drums uh bands uh for almost a, the decade of my 20s um i lived in nashville some of that time some of the time i'd lived in north carolina and actually I spent some time in new york as well and um uh, you know I, so i've been playing with all these musicians in that configuration i felt like there was something there and right when like all essentially when grunge indie rock went massively mainstream I realized that one of the things I'd been toying with, which was distorted bass, uh, which seems like a small thing, but it's like a piano trio with like this fuzz grungy element up underneath it. And I was like, that's, that's what makes me the happiest. And that's like working right now, like just add distortion to it. So uh, I, I'm, I, you know, when I met uh, uh, Robert Sledge, bass player, I, I was realized this is guys like the best bass player in the world at that so it was just really really lucky and then uh and then we met uh the the drummer uh, uh darren all this happened real quick like oh it's it, grunge got big i moved back to north carolina from uh uh new york i met these guys super fast we all had sort of the same vision of yeah you know there's no piano bands out there uh let's let robert and darren just rock like it's 1994 and i'll just play broadway crap over the top of it and yeah that should work <laughs> and, and 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 it did like like it, it was a sound i hadn't heard before oh yeah for sure for sure and i know that self-titled debut album was in what 95 and then yeah the second one the follow-up 97 uh, whatever and ever amen was was really massive including that hit song Brick. I'm sure you've been asked about that a million times, but I, my listeners will kill me if you don't at least get one question on Brick. You know, uh, 
we all we know what it's about but you know just remind maybe some of our younger listeners how i mean that's that song deals with some powerful stuff yeah well i mean it's a reality that uh that teenagers get pregnant and um this is this is a first person account of what happened to me and my girlfriend and the the perspective is just mine you know like it, it and and it, it's just like two people going through something it's mine i never intended to be a woe is me sort of thing at all i never really wanted to talk about it at the time it was my girlfriend that went through it and she was awesome and she was years later awesome about the song and um you know in an era where you, you pe- people can misunderstand stuff really quickly and just get up in arms about it i i i like I, I like a conversation about stuff, but there's, I'm not really saying anything in the song except it happened. This is the way it felt to the male involved in this. And, um, you know, I have people tell me to shut up. I, my perspective as a male doesn't, doesn't count in this because I'm not the one that went through it. And I don't say I went through it in the song. I said, I, I, this was my perspective. My girlfriend went through it. I was pacing around a parking lot worried about what was happening because of course they don't let let you in mm-hmm. um and it's sad and in the song i'm not saying politically whether this should be allowed or it shouldn't be allowed it's just that it actually happens it actually is sad and it involves two people so i never heard anyone written a song uh from that perspective uh before i don't think it would be allowed now and i think when people discover what it's about and they just listen to two bars of it um, I catch a lot of grief for it. Um, but, um, you know, like maybe if, if the grief was like, it could have been clearer or better written. Yeah, I, I'll accept that. I mean, I was 27 when I wrote the song and I might've gotten a few things wrong and there might be a line or two in there that's like, oh, that may be a, a little less sensitive than it could be. But the song is one of the most real things that the band ever did for sure. Because, uh, you know, we, we all knew it was about, we all felt it. And, and, um, and did it really as honestly as we could. It was, it was recorded live in a bedroom with an upright piano and about six mics. Um, and it became a, a, a really big hit. I never spoke about it at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't care to nuance it any more than that. But that's what it's about. It's about teenage pregnancy. And, uh, you know, it should, it's something you wouldn't wish on anybody at any age. But, but teenagers, we're not, you know, like it's, you're not equipped to, to, to deal with it all. It's, it's pretty rough and it happens all the time. And, and uh, they're in the crossfire of it uh, 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 politically as well. Uh, and, and that's, that's also unfortunate. Right. But you're not taking a political stance in that you're just describing an experience of something really hard to go through uh, like death yeah. or anything else. And you're just describing it. It's a human experience in that song. Yeah. Like, it's a human experience. And I, I hope it has loads of empathy for, young people who who go through it i I, you know if the song does something well i would want someone to go wow what a rough thing for a kid to go through jeez god i'm sorry that happened that's that's what i would want uh more than anything and you know i I have a political opinion on it but i'm pretty sure it ain't in the song you know and i don't think it belongs in the song because uh because it's an experience it's a human experience and not a political one and and, uh i'm allowed to say my political stance i just don't think it helps the song for sure for sure 
Well, uh, you know, after Ben Folds 5, obviously, is very famous at that point. But I want to tell me about breaking off solo. You know, how rewarding or freeing was it Was it to do Rock in the Suburbs? Well, I guess that came out on 9-11. You can't plan that timing. But um, that, yeah, super sunny, bad. super sunny speed graphic. And then, of course, way to normal after that. But, you know, just just reflect on the solo work really fast of, you yeah. know, was that was that refreshing, uh, freeing? Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was, you know, you spin. Um, interestingly, my my uh, my uh, kids were born roughly the time that I went into my solo period. And, um, you know, what you learn about uh, about the second twin that's born, the first one's born comes out really straight because there's not any space to to mess up. The second one twin spins because the second the second child has never experienced uh, space, never experienced choices and, and room to stretch out and spin around. Always comes out <laughs> crazy because it's spinning. I feel like that was my solo uh, career. I feel like all of a sudden I could do anything I wanted to. And I did a lot of spinning, which I'm glad for because I have all these things to show for it. You, 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 know, you mentioned a couple of releases. I was, I was working so fast and furiously when I went solo. I was... EPs, you know, three EPs, a uh, uh, solo live album, uh, orchestra period started then, a band called The Benz. I produced a bunch of records. I wrote and produced a William Shatner record, uh, built a studio from the ground up, all this in about three years. And uh, I, I was just going, 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 spinning, you know, some of it didn't work, some of it did. And um, I, I think that's, that's what artists should be able to do. You know, it's, if you can, you should just 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 <laughs> just go a little bit beyond your 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 capacity and, and go so i'm really proud of of my uh solo career stuff too and and you know like there's so much of my solo career that's discovered you know by a different age group so the younger people come out it's not like they don't know brick but they don't really care about it that much like they're like i've I have this odd growth of an audience that came from a movie that 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 uh, that i made the music for I, I mean, like I would have. What movie are you talking that. about? Was it animated movie? Well, it's called it's called Over the Hedge, and it was a uh, it was a uh, an animated movie, and I think it should have been an, kind of an important one. It's it's got really important. It was DreamWorks, um, and I I wrote all the songs for it, and now I get so many audience members that know those songs that started the that started their their <laughs> their folds journey then. And that's crazy to me because I, I consider it obscure, even though it was a it was DreamWorks movie that was widely released. It was a huge release, but it was a it was a um, an animated movie that came out the same week as Cars. Um, and uh, that 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 pretty much sealed its <laughs> its its fate. But not for me. I mean, like like the songs from that are are. Uh, our songs that an audience knows so the oldies come out and they're like oh yeah he hasn't done anything since brick the young people come out and they're like i grew up with over the hedge and <laughs> and that's that's the thing that they know uh others come for the uh, uh for uh, for all different uh, phases when you've done a career this long you you realize it's it's uh it, it hits a lot of different kinds of people who don't know about the other parts of it Oh, I believe it. We had Rufus Wainwright on a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying he has a whole young audience that just knows him from Shrek. 
<laughs> so yeah, right. it's funny how that works. All right, cool. Well, you've been more than generous with your time. Um, you know, yeah. there's so much else we could talk about with your N- NBC sing off and then your memoir, a dream about lightning bugs. Everybody check all that out, but um, we'll let you run. You've been generous with your time. Well, yeah. Ben- all right. Well, it's really good to talk to you. And I was especially excited to talk about this one because the, the, the Kennedy center, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be like a, like a little kid that I'm going to, I'm going to be out kind of on fire about that one. So I'm, I'm excited to actually promote for once. This is awesome. <laughs> cool. Again, it's Ben Folds at the Kennedy center, Monday, November 15th for the quote in actual person live for real tour. Ah, let's get back to live music. Hey, thanks, Ben. Right on. Thanks, man. See you. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.